a woman stands up and then points down at the guy sitting next to her. She goes, hi, this is my husband, Kim Crawford, and I nearly vomited in my mouth. Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. It's a new year. It's a new you. And on that front, it's a new wine game this year. How are you going to up it? What are you going to do to improve all of your drinking in 2024? We are kicking off this calendar year with a potential option for you. We've always recommended travel. I love travel. Traveling to wine regions is great. An awesome way to learn about your favorite wines and your favorite regions. But another Less, I think, obvious way to do this is through food and wine festivals. Today, we're going to talk about that. Today, we're going to talk about all things food and wine festivals, everything you need to know before going, what some of them are, what you can expect, because I think for me, this has been sort of a game changer, something that I didn't really know about before I started going to them a few years. And now that I have, I'm like, wow, this is such an amazing way to learn about wine, to be around like-minded people, and have a little fun. So, To do that, I have invited my friend and fellow Food and Wine Festival aficionado, Anthony Giglio, who, similarly to me, wears a lot of hats in the wine ring. I looked at your biography and I was like, I don't know where to start with you. What, like, what, what's your elevator pitch when you're like, I'm Anthony, this is what I do. When the elevator pitch comes, I hope that we, you know, we lose power (laughs) and I have five minutes on the elevator because there's no way to say it any easier than uh, I'm a journalist first who studied to be a sommelier. And with that, it's led to uh, years as a food critic and a wine critic and traveling the world, uh, evangelizing everyone who's confused about wine. And that includes all the wine festivals I've been going to for, gosh, almost 30 years now. Yeah. Fellow East Coaster. So I think we yes. can expect a little sarcasm and humor and wit in this <laughs> podcast. So if you're conf- – we're not yelling at each other. This is just how we talk in the East Coast because you're from Jersey. I'm from Philly. Yeah. But we found mutual love at food and wine festivals and at a pizza place that you took me to that I'm very jealous you went to last night. Should we give them a little shout out on the show? Yeah, we're going to give uh, Dan Richer and the amazing team at Razza Pizza Artigianale here in beautiful Jersey City, New Jersey, some of the best pizza in the country. And if you don't believe me, just Google Razza Pizza and you will find out everything about it. Honestly, one of my favorite meals of 2023. Like, I can't think of a more soul satisfying like (laughs) set of foods and like people around me because it was just so good. And he's so like what he's doing at that place is so unique and so different. And we had great wine. And if you find yourself in the uh, New York metropolitan area, it's one to definitely check out. Anthony, I would like to point out behind you is a couple things of super salt, which is (laughs) one thing that you did not add to your biography. So What's happening? I'm the worst marketer of my own stuff. <laughs> he literally, you're, if anyone's um, not watching, he literally has like hundreds of jars of this salt behind him. And I was like, hey, Anthony, tell us what you do on the podcast. And completely ignored. My wife is probably in the other room going, he's such an idiot. He's such an <laughs> idiot. So I have a side gig. And that's actually the name of the company called Side Gig that I created right before the pandemic came and ruined the party. This was off to a great start. And then it kind of flopped and then started over again during the pandemic. But I've been, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good cook. I'm not a trained chef, but I have plenty of chef friends who I've cooked with through the years. And I make this compound salt with usually, if I come to your house, I'm making dinner, man, I'll look in your fridge and grab any herbs I could find, any garlic, which is mandatory. And uh, some good, back then I was using kosher salt when I started. 
But now I, uh, as a tribute to my Sicilian wife, I use Sicilian sea salt mm. and I have it made in Bologna, but I used to just mash it on a cutting board and leave it at friends' houses. And they would say, what is this amazing yes. salt? And it kind of got a name like super salt, just kind of cheeky, but we launched it in 2020 and Whole Foods was my first client who put it in 100 stores on the East Coast. And now I'm, uh, I'm in central markets all over Texas and uh, in the Midwest at Foxtrot Markets and on Food 52 where I sell. Oh, cool. That's why it's all here. I've, I fulfill those orders ah. here from my dining room for Food 52. So I'm packing. These, these come in two packs. It is a favorite. It is a favorite of mine. It's in my cabinet right now. Jason and I love it. I'm glad to hear it. I like it on potatoes and steak. You know, obviously when you're drinking wine, it's like one of those things like you need to, like the food needs to be salted. You know, my tagline though is it goes with everything. I mean, literally everything. Literally everything. I'm putting it on everything. Yes. You know, we're going to have this wine in a second and I, I think it's a good homage to this wine, which is like really salty. So if you're not, if you're not drinking yet, the wine that we're going to have on this show today is the Sabroso. It should be in the podcast wine club shipment if you're drinking with us and You'll notice we're, we'll talk about this wine like as we get into the bulk of the show, but you'll notice there's like a, a real like salinity to this wine. I actually added a little of your salt into my soup last night and had it with this wine and it was pretty delicious. All right, Anthony, we've got a lot to cover and uh, not a lot of time to do it in, but I want to start with a few things that are happening in the wine world. All right. True or false? Terroir? Is a real thing. hundred percent a real thing. <laughs> who says it's who says it's not a real thing? I feel thing? like some people say a terroir is not a real thing. And I feel like they say it because they're like nobody can like stick their nose in a glass and blind taste wine. Like that's just a gimmick, right? I think some people are like, eh, I don't know. Artificial intelligence may not be able to appreciate the taste of a glass of wine, but apparently it can tell you where it came from, according to Wine Spectator, who reported that there is a team of scientists have used Machine learning and gas chromatography, say that 10 times fast, to successfully analyze 80 wines and identify which seven Bordeaux chateaus produced them. No Even way. more astonishing, when they mapped the wine's chemical signatures as XY coordinates on a map, the wines clustered correctly according to their left and bank origins, left and right bank origins. This is insane. This is like totally insane. This is one of the coolest things that I've heard in a very long time. So they're literally able to like turn the wine into this gas, and then from that, use AI to figure out exactly where this wine came from. And it shows that these specific origins have these things that – and, like, I think as wine professionals, we don't even understand, you know, why terroir is the way that it is and how it how it works within the wine. But this is fascinating and I think a step in the right direction. I, I'm – I'm terrified of AI. <laughs> <laughs> really. Shocking. We're all gonna we're all gonna be out of work in five years, Amanda. It's over. No, I think this is fascinating. And I think it's fascinating because the wine world and the AI world have not really crossed paths a lot, which is surprising given how many people in the world drink wine and how long wine's been around. But I think this is really interesting because some of the other things that I've seen around AI is like AI has been able to replicate the different compounds in wines, but I've never seen AI actually be able to take those specific markers of wines and then also, you know, figure out exactly where they came from. I'll be curious to see if they can like expand into other areas too, because I think Bordeaux is a, a really good place to start, but like, can they replicate this in places like Napa, in places like Australia? Like, where would you be most interested to see this? I would love to see what AI would have to say about the subsoils of Piedmont or, or Tuscany, where everyone you know knows a lot about those wines. At least they're, they're like the big, you know, the big big wines of Italy. 
Um, it'd be interesting to see if what we say about the different soils from re- you know, village to village, if AI would detect or agree or not. Of the regions that we consider to have like the most distinct terroirs, I think Piedmont for sure. Burgundy, Burgundy, sure. Yes. Yeah. Burgundy champagne would be really interesting. And then I think even within Napa, it would be interesting because there's what, 14 different AVAs within that 30 mile ish radius mm-hmm. yep. that they, you know, they say all have distinct um, microclimates and different soils. And uh, it would be interesting to see if they could actually break it down in a very close proximity in that way. Yeah. That'd be fascinating. But next up is uh, Are you a Negroni drinker? I feel like I know the answer to this question. I mean, that is, I had two at Ratza last night. That qualifies me. Campari has purchased Curvassier. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. In an acquisition that surprised, I think, everyone. Yeah. Italian, if for those of you who don't know what Campari is, Italian spirit, aperitif, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the key ingredient in a Negroni, of course, and one of my favorite bitter liqueurs. Yeah. Just bought the famed cognac producer because why not? I guess they're apparently making a a play to go after like the Pernod Ricard and they bought it from Centauri. So, you know, another, another big one. They bought it for $1.2 billion with a B dollars. And they also recently purchased Grand Monnier, which I didn't realize. I feel like they're going after these like, you know, once like very cool, like early 2000s brands, like, you know, in the way that some other people are bringing back the fashion houses of the early 2000s are like, all right, let's go after the cool yeah, brands of the early 2000s. There could be some hip hop cross-pollination going to happen. I think it's smart. I Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, all right, because apparently sales have been on the decline, 33% down over um, year over year for Curvassier. But, uh, you know, a legendary cognac house, and it's not like there is a ton of land to be called cognac. It has to be produced in sort of like champagne. It has to be produced in cognac. So you can't, it's not like, it's not like buying a gin brand where you can basically make it from anywhere, like, you know. Anywhere with anything, right. Well, we are going to jump into all things food and wine festivals in just a second, but this is your moment to be reminded about the podcast Wine Club. If you're not drinking with us 2024, this is your moment to join the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast Wine Club. We're drinking delicious stuff. It's four wines every shipment. You're going to get them basically every other month. It's 120 bucks plus tax, but including shipping, and you're going to get 10% off of all of your purchases at Wine Access. If you would like to continue hanging out with us and talk food and wine festivals, then grab your glass and we'll see you in one second. All right, Anthony, you got your wine? I got my wine. This is a fun label, huh? Yeah, yeah. Some little cartoony thing going on. This is uh, the Vinos Vinos de Californias Sabroso means delicious. Uh, this is a really fun wine. I am excited to kick off 2024 with this wine. And I'm excited to drink it with you because I wanted something fun and something lively and something fresh that would be delicious to drink at a food and wine festival, but also would be something that you might discover at a food and wine festival, which is a great place to discover wines and new producers and uh, just have a lot of fun. So this is a wine coming from the Central Coast. It's mostly Grenache. If you are into blind tasting and believe in terroir, as Anthony and I have already admitted that we do. To me, this is, well, I guess this isn't terroir. This is more grape specific. This is classic Grenache. You stick your nose in the glass and it smells like a goddamn strawberry fruit roll-up. It's amazing. It smells like my lunchbox. It smells, it's like salty peanut butter fruit roll-up, delicious, like jumping out of the glass. So much fun. I actually opened this last night 
and had it with some chicken noodle soup, as I mentioned. And uh, there's also a little Cabernet Pfeffer and 18% Zinfandel that those Zinfandels own rooted. And this is a wine coming from Ted Glennon, a celebrated sommelier, who also, as a matter of, I learned as the beverage director for the Del Mar Wine and Food Festival, this is his wine. This is a fun little project. This is only uh, aged in oak barrels for five months. This is a 2022, so it's super young. It's super fresh. But how are we feeling about the wine? We like it. Do we feel like this is going to be our jetway into the conversation? Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, and, and you're right. Like the, the nose is ridiculous. Yeah. Like my kid, my, my daughter, my 21 year old daughter, who's just really getting into wine very late after a detour through White Claws just said, oh my God, open that bottle before, pour it before you go into the studio. And I said, hold on, let me, let me pour you some. And I said, look at the label and smell it. And she was like, oh my God. Yes. Because <laughs> she smelled of, it's just like a basket yeah. of strawberries. It's yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. David Bramey said this wine is uh, effing delicious. Expletive delicious. Yeah. And then there's strawberries all over it. So it's, I mean, it's wildly suggestive. And then even on the top, it says the wine that first was strawberry. But it's true. I think anytime you're talking about Grenache, you're talking about strawberries. Like this is, if you love that strawberry, kirschi, fruit roll up thing going on, 100% Grenache is going to be your jam all day long, especially if it's from California. But I love the addition of the Cabernet Pfeffer and the Zinfandel, which kind of like tames it down, gives it a little bit of a savory backbone, a little bit of that salinity. So, you, you know, you kind of yeah. feel this really nice balance in your mouth. I'm not going to use any fancy terms for this, but like because I'm colorblind, I somehow overcompensate when I taste and I taste in mm-hmm. color. Like I think color. And this goes like, so the, it, the attack is completely red fruit, but it finishes black in mm. my head. Meaning that's where the Zen comes in. Like I, I feel like it's darker as it evolves. So it, it seems very fruit. Like, you know, you might, the way we're describing it, some people be like, oh, it's like a frivolous porch pounder. Not really. It starts off, the party starts off early, but but then it, it, it evolves and gets darker and darker to be like more serious as it as it lingers. That's just No, I that's great. I think that's a great way to, to visualize it. I don't, sometimes I think in color, I think I think in color, not as aggressively as you do. Like I think I, Vanessa, who used to be the podcast, um, my podcast co-host, she used to think of wine in shapes. And I think I, it's kind of a little bit of both for me. Like I feel that, I feel it in shapes. I feel it in color. And I think if you're like listening to this podcast and you don't know what I mean, like really try to like remove all the other elements from your life, like close your eyes and just try to like see if a color or a shape or a texture or something kind of comes to mind when you're tasting. I think it's really helpful because, you know, sometimes we do use these like stupid ass words that mean absolutely nothing. (laughs) And, you know, the reality is like when you're thinking about food, you know, we're often thinking of textures and feelings and these things that make us very, very happy. But do you ever think of horse horse hair or wet dog? <laughs> no, I don't often think of horse hair or wet dog. So no, what actually it's 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 actually horse sweat. Horse Someone sweat. said that at a tasting horse. I was like, I'm a city boy. I have no idea that horses even yeah, sweat. I, so I try to avoid Central Park because of. I'm a city guy, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, food and wine festivals. This will be this will be my 27th food and wine classic. 27th food and wine classic in Aspen. Um, I am thrilled to be, keep getting asked back, especially because there's so much fun, young talent coming up behind me that could easily replace me that I'm grateful that they still bring me back. And then people see me there and invite me to other ones. So that's, we're on the gravy train that's now. That's right. Trying to get you on board with more of them with me because I think we make a great pair. I think so too. I'm very, oh, I think that's the other thing that I forgot to mention is that we're actually finally <laughs> teaming up at a food and wine festival. This is sort of, I mean, there's a lot of impetuses for this show, one of which being the fact that Anthony and I are teaming up to do the Fort Lauderdale Food and Wine Festival in um, mid-January. So if you find yourself in South Florida, we'll be doing a 
a sort of wine tasting thing the Friday before. Then we're actually going to be at the actual like grand tasting doing uh, an old world versus new world blind tasting smackdown um, in which we go head to head, me being new world, you being old world for all the obvious reasons. <laughs> the, the, the primary reason being exactly. old. <laughs> You're talking about that fresh new talent. I saw you like getting red and getting red in the face. Like, She's coming for my job. I'm not, I'm not. I could never replace Anthony Chileo. Your seminars are always like wildly sold out. Nobody can get into them. General thoughts around food and wine festivals for consumers. Like what, how do you think about them? Are they like a good thing to go to if you're just getting into wine? Are they something for people that have been into wine for a long time? They're all very different. I mean, and, and I'm, I, I think I am 100% biased being contributor to Food and Wine Magazine for you know 25 yeah. years that I know that a lot of festivals popped up after Food and Wine was getting a lot of anniversary press throughout the year. So like 20 years ago, people were like, oh, the Food and Wine Classic is now 30 right. and, you know, or, or 25 or whatever. And everybody, I've actually been there when like Lee Schrager, who founded Food and, uh, the, uh, sorry, South Beach Food and Wine Festival and New York City Wine Food Festival, he came to Aspen one year and said to Food and Wine, I want to recreate this in Florida and I want to part with, partner with you. And I think we were there for the first, Food and Wine was a sponsor, a media sponsor for the first maybe 15 years, I think, and then they mm. parted. But it, it's to say that everybody measures these festivals against Aspen, at least initially, because yeah. I feel like we really could go to a festival every weekend if we, if we you know, had unlimited resources and you know, plane fare. But I like to think that there's a high mark we could hit with really great talent, a really solid program that respects time limits and uh, a dynamic schedule. And then like grand tastings, like the Food and Wine Playbook, as you know, is great because there's nothing overlapping. Like we're all in yeah. seminars together for the morning. And, you, and they repeat everything two days in a row. So if you can't go to Amanda on Saturday, Friday morning, you can go to me on Friday morning and Amanda on Saturday right. morning because we're both against each other. And then we all go to the Grand Tastings and we have you know, really great opportunity to taste all these great wines. And we go to lunch and we come back and there's two more afternoon seminars. And then there's an evening Grand Tasting before everyone goes out to parties and dinners. Like I think it's a, a really great playbook and they've honed it over many, many years. I think this is like we're coming up on 40 years as a classic. I've seen it all over the place. I've gone to a lot of festivals where I'm invited and I find myself being the cantankerous, <laughs> cranky uncle who's like, why are we starting 15 minutes late? These people have been sitting here <laughs> and I get answers like, well, we're still waiting for a few more people that he signed up. I'm like, I, I respect that they signed up, but it's their problem that they are late. Now you're making us late to the finish and then we'll be late. People leaving here will be late to the next one. And it just dominoes. And anyone who knows Food and Wine Classic in Aspen, as you know, man, it's it's like oh. a German train station schedule. Not, if you are else. one minute late, you will never be asked late. Again. You'll never be asked back again. Like there's people in the back going ten minutes, five yeah. minutes, and then you get the cut it off, yes. and we're done. It's a well-oiled machine that that they figured out. And I, you're right. It is it is the benchmark. Like if you're talking about food and wine festivals at the top of the pyramid, you have to talk about Aspen Food and Wine. And it was the top of the pyramid even before. I went there. I think, you know, even being in the industry for, de you know, a decade prior to being invited for the first time, like I knew what Aspen Food and Wine was and I knew it because people talked about it. Like it was legendary. Yeah. Like if you get to go to Aspen yeah. Food and Wine, like you're doing something right, either in your life as a consumer or in your career as a wine or a hospitality person, because that is the one to be invited to. And in fact, I don't know if I've ever told you the story. Do you know how I got invited to Aspen Food and Wine? I was assuming Ray Isle. Asked you. Well, he did, but it was before we really knew each other. 
But we all heard about you. We all heard about Amanda McCross. You did not hear about me. Well, I think this is a fun story because, I, and I think it speaks to just like you just never know, you know, where the right opportunity is going to come up. But I had I had happened to be doing another seminar for the Napa Valley Film Festival, and it was outdoors. It was at Farmstead, and it was like a very last minute put together thing. Hardly anybody showed up for it. I do my thing, wrap up. The next day, I get an email from Ray. Like I said, we didn't really know each other. That We had kind of crossed in professionally, but I get an email and he said, hey, I happened to be walking through your seminar yesterday and I thought you were great. Any chance you want to come speak at Aspen? <laughs> and I was like, Amazing. are you kidding me? Like, I've been dying to go to Aspen for years. And this, you know, no offense to the film festival people, but like, you know, this little thing that like kind of popped up out of, out of nowhere just happened to be the thing that he saw and here we are. Now we get to be friends and hang out and go to Aspen together. And uh, it really is something special. My mom goes with me most years. And I think, you know, I've even had a couple people who attend my seminars who are also listeners of this podcast. So hello to all of you. It's, it's, uh, I love seeing you guys every year. Um, it is, I think, the most expensive one. And I think I, I want to mention that because if you're thinking about top of the sure. food chain, uh, it is one to put in your bucket list. It's about $3,000 a person for the weekend that does not include your hotel, that does not include your airfare. And if you've ever looked at ticket prices to Aspen, yeah. you know that uh, they look like you're flying private, but you are you are flying commercial at that price. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. But it's fun. It's true. And as I was say, and I think you're right. There's there's plenty of populist-driven festivals. Like what I think, like for instance, we were talking about South Beach earlier, as it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger throughout the years, it's become very populist. I mean, like they, they just keep expanding because they have room on the beach to just add more tents. Like there's a lot happening at that. And there's, and it's a la carte. Like Aspen, you're, you're locked in. You're coming to town. We take over the whole town. There's nothing right. else happening. Like you're just, you're right. part of it or you're not. You go to Miami and you're in a thriving city where it's chaos and you know that you could put, dial in a la carte, just go to the right. tastings. You don't even have to do any other programming. Um, and the tickets aren't so expensive. I think maybe a hundred, hundred and twenty bucks. Yeah, I think. No, they are. I was, I was actually looking at because that's the that's South Beach South Beach Wine and Food Festival or SoBe, and that happens end of basically mid to end end of February. And you're right, it is sort of like it's very a la carte. It is put on by Food Network now, so it's mostly Food Network stars. You're actually going to see a lot fewer wine people there, but their grand tasting is $225. Everything is a la carte. I didn't know it was on the beach. That's very cool. I didn't realize that's like kind of where they sleep. Yeah. The tents are on the beach with, with misting fans and everything. It's pretty (laughs) wild. At least that's when I was last there. It was really cool. Yeah. So like, I think it's something like, for instance, I haven't been to Fort Lauderdale. I don't know if you've been yet, but you, 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 uh, introduced me and it sounds like they take over on the last day. Sunday is yes. like family day. Like it's that it's that populist that Sunday is like family day. It's sacred for families. They're not going to split you up and say, get a babysitter. It's like, everybody's welcome. I don't know how they, <laughs> they you know, who, who gets to pour what into whose hands or bottles, but. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that works on like the legal front, but yeah, I think I'm glad that you brought that up because one of the questions, like the frequently asked questions, cause I, I threw into chat GBT. I was like, what are the most asked questions around food and wine festivals? And it was like, can you bring your, is it family friendly? Can you bring kids? And for the most part, no, like these are 21 plus, like it's, there's wine everywhere. That's like a whole yeah. thing. So like, this is really sort of an adults only thing, but the Fort Lauderdale food and wine festival actually does have a day where like families are welcome. And I actually think that the Saturday one as well might be family friendly. Don't quote me on that, but yeah, they, um, they were a little more family friendly on that front. Some other ones I want to touch on. Um, I know you've not been to world of Pinot Noir. That one is really beautiful in, um, in Santa Barbara that takes place through its Carlton Vaccara. 
seminars, there's lunches, there's a grand tasting. Ray's been to that one before. That's a really good one, obviously, if you love Pinot, because that's all you're going to taste there. But that's a really good one if you want to take a deeper dive into learning about wine. Because I think if there's one thing that I would say about Aspen, like the seminars are great. You're definitely going to like learn a thing or two and you're going to taste some great wines as well. And that's, you know, that's the place to taste some of your like more bucket list wines. But like in terms of actual education, I would say that's where World of Pinot actually kind of steps it up a little bit because their seminars are a little bit geekier. And I found that the clientele there was just more into some of the more technical information. And then you're also like rubbing shoulders a little bit more with wine producers. The other nice part is that you're actually, you know, really, really close to a wine region. So you're in like basically the downtown Santa Barbara area, which means you're about 45 minutes from the actual vineyards. So you could feasibly plan an entire wine trip around doing the World of Pinot uh, Festival as well as like a Santa Barbara wine tasting adventure, which I think would be really cool. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, I haven't been, but that's all, that's all I've heard about it. IPNC, have you done that one? No. Another Pinot-focused one. This is like a summer camp for adults kind of thing. This actually takes place, uh, if you feel like going back to college for a minute, it takes place at Winfield <laughs> University in McMinnville. This is kind of wild. Again, Ray and I were there together. I have not, I've not spoken or anything. I just attended. And this was kind of interesting. This is like one of those, you know, you're a little bit more dialed into this one. Like you are, you're like with the event the entire time. Like you don't really have free time. So you wake, you wake up, you all have like breakfast together on campus outside. And then like you kind of like split up into buses or groups. And then you either go to a winery or then you go to classes and there's tastings and then there's like these big dinners. And that one is actually one of the more reasonably priced ones. The entire weekend, including all of your meals, at least for this year, is $16.95, which is not bad when you consider yeah, sure, all the things. Um, the only thing I will warn everyone about is that it is at the end of July. And despite it being in Oregon, which I know sounds cool to those of you who like cold, to those of you who don't live there, it can actually get very, very hot in Oregon at the end of July. And I happened to be there during like a crazy heat wave in a lot of the hotels and the Linfield University campus does not have air conditioning. So other <laughs> big ones, Nantucket wine and food. Have you done Nantucket? Yes. What's that one? Like so, I've heard like a, very a, fancy. A lifetime ago, I was the wine critic for Boston Magazine okay. for almost a decade. And inside joke is that I was doing it from here in Jersey. Yep. That was and nice of said, them to let you do that. You can, yeah, the, the editor and I, uh, Annie Cops and I met, my food editor, Annie Cops, and I met uh, on a press trip in Italy. And then she said, oh my God, we have to get you to write the wine column because it's, it's so boring. <laughs> and so I met her editor in New York and she said, she said, I'd love to hire you, but you can't tell anybody. Like you have no idea how yeah. angry Boston's, Bostonians would get if they knew you were from yeah. New York or New Jersey. So I said, what do I say? And they said, it's an inside joke, but say Southie, way Southie, which is <laughs> before South Boston was trendy. Okay. Southie just meant like, you know, the south end of the city. But anyway, it is very fancy. I haven't been there in a, a few years, but I mean, Nantucket in name alone is fancy. Right. And it's just, it's so ridiculously beautiful and bucolic and perfect in every way there. I was just attended a wedding there in September and forgot how ridiculously beautiful it is there. And just, it's transportive. I mean, in the center of town, you feel like it could be, you know, the late 1800s with all the architecture mm. and the cobblestone streets. And, you know, if a horse-drawn carriage went by, I wouldn't be surprised. They have a, a really great, uh, a really strong restaurant association there of, of, of restaurateurs who all band together and host amazing events all over the place. Winemakers from all over the country come. It's not, I mean, even, you know, from Europe as well. So it's not just about New England. It would be very little wine to talk about if it was just that New England. That would be boring. 
No, I heard they. I hear that's like the place to like drink all the good Burgundy and Champagne. Like if you're not going to La Palais or or Fête de Champagne, like that's where those guys usually go. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I remember when um, uh, I think it was Dennis Toner was uh, one of the founders, and um, he and his partners were big, big, big Burgundy fans. Well, actually, on that front, and we'll talk about a few more different festivals in a second. I actually wanted to do like a little BTS on like what goes into the planning of these seminars because I think this is really, really fascinating. Uh, maybe for I don't know for uh, people listening, but for me, I didn't realize like how much went in. Like, I know you put a lot of work into your seminars. I put a lot of work into my seminars. Like how far in advance are you planning like your seminars? Cause like for Aspen, that is in June. Like when do you start thinking about your seminars and like what t- walk me through that process? I think the official letter will come in February where they'll say you have two weeks to finalize. Anthony, the letter has already like, arrived. By March. <laughs> no, no, to finalize your selections. Like, well, like there's a reminder, like in February is when the yeah. panic, the panic for me sets in when you're like, you have exactly two weeks left. And it's like, oh crap, I didn't, I really haven't. So like, I've gotten lazy. I'll be honest because I know I'm going to get right. it done and I do it every yeah. year, but I will start to, I'm going to start like now that holiday parties are kind of like, you know, I'll be at New Year's and Christmas, with my family, like, I will start workshopping this to say, tell me something that you'd like to see or it's, yeah. what's trendy. Cause believe it or not, the white Lotus came from my wife. Like I, it was such a perfect idea. idea and I couldn't believe it was right in front of me. And she was like, you need to do the white Lotus. Like Sicilian wines, the white Lotus. I'm like, holy. And we texted Ray right there. And he was like, sold. Like I will, don't even ask. It's, it's in, it's done. Like, which is pretty funny. Cause usually they put it in front of a, they have a big meeting and they put all the, the seminars out there and everyone, they do play, they, they vote by committee kind of. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So I'll, I'll look at what I've done in the past. I'll look at what some of the most popular ones were and see if it's time to bring it back or maybe update it somehow. I look at like, like for instance, let's talk about like, Mark Oldman, mm-hmm. who is like wearing spacesuits and stunts yes. and rides it on a magic yes, carpet. He's doing, he's doing like, a full prices right at Aspen Food and Wine. <laughs> is that what's happening? I mean, it's it literally looks like a it looks yeah. like a game show. Like he's got wheels, he's got yeah. yeah, he's got all the props. Yeah, there's toys, there's stunts, there's chainsaws, there's yeah. everything. So like, and I look at him and I think, do I want to try and think that way, or do I stay in my lane, which is literally. I make fun of everything, meaning I want people to come and just have fun and know that we're not going to take this too seriously. I might even take something that's really complex and break it down like with a cleaver. Like we are not going to get geeky here at all. I would refuse to talk about soil and terroir and things like that, which you could find plenty of in the world. And you and I could put everyone to sleep talking about it. I swear, this is the tagline I get from so many people when they leave my seminars. I never learn so much and laugh so much. And if I've accomplished that, I feel like job done, mission accomplished, I've done my job. And so my approach is always, what topic can I take, break down and have a lot of fun with, which is why I I suggested the SmackDown Mm. in in Fort Lauderdale, because that's an Aspen favorite that I I came up with years ago with with the old publisher, Christina Gertovich. She and I were sitting down and she was like, let's call it like, like I always used to say like, oh, we should do something like, you know, pitting old world wines versus new world wines. And people don't even understand that. I know that by the way, there's a new generation of wine writers who say, let's not use those. anymore. Let's not talk about old world and new world and all that kind of thing. But like, you know, for geography and I do it in every seminar, I I just taught one two nights ago and I on online and I said, for our purposes, we are the new world along with North America, South America, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, but the rest of Europe, all of Europe talks about wine by addresses. We talk about grapes and we, until we get that through everybody's heads, where the confusion starts and how to get past it. That's the beginning of every conversation with every group every yeah. time. And people just say, I had no idea I speak 
grapes and that's and I didn't know what and for instance, for instance Amanda they'll say I didn't know Bordeaux wasn't right. a grape right no that happens right? all the time because why wouldn't why wouldn't you why would you not think that if you know Chardonnay and Cabernet and you keep hearing people yep. say Burgundy and there's no Champagne grape it's it's an address and it's a whole other ecosystem to break down but I could do it and I can make it really fun and then we do like the like well we're gonna like if we if we succeed in Fort Lauderdale, right, <laughs> we will have people rolling in the aisles, but they're going to leave knowing exactly what the differences are between those old world wines and new world wines and the regions that we're talking about as we break yeah. them down. And that's the goal. It is totally the goal, and I think like you know, there's all different types of seminars at these festivals, right? And um, I think if if you broke us into our different sectors, like you know, you and I are sort of this like edutainment sector, right? You're going to have fun. You're going to learn something. Right. There's also like, you know, more serious seminars as well. And I've done those where it's it's very technical. We're always going to have a lot of fun. But then there's also seminars with like master sommeliers where you're going to geek out a little bit more. And they are going to use terminology that might be a little foreign to you. So yeah. I think if, you were, if you're going to a food and wine festival, it's important to look to see like, all right, who's going to be teaching this seminar? Because we all have different styles and we all have different approaches. And Yours and mine is very much like you're in the middle of like a YouTube or like a TikTok video. Like we're going to we're going to deliver right. you all the facts. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be really educational. But you're going to leave learning something that you didn't know and you're going to have a lot of fun doing it and you're going to taste great wines. On that note, the wine selection. I start working on mine based I sometimes I I reverse engineer it where I I start thinking about what wines I'd want to include in a seminar and then I'm like, "Oh, how could I do that? What, what would be interesting?" But the wine selection is really interesting because I think one of the things that people don't know about the wine seminars is that a lot of times like these are wines that producers really want to be in the seminar. So they will come to us mm-hmm. and say like, hey, we, we you know, we have this wine. It's really special. And they're really excited to get in front of this particular audience. And so as the presenters, you know, we actually get to have a lot of fun with our selections, especially at places like Aspen that are a little bit more elite and everybody wants to be in front of that Aspen audience. But wh- yeah. what's your process like for the wine selection? Because mine is fun. My well, yeah. I, although I, you know, I could turn anything fun and stressful because that's my wiring. <laughs> um, so I look at it as, yeah, the emails start flying in as soon as I pick my yeah. topics, and they they publish them on the website. Uh, I have, you know, like you, a bazillion contacts in the in the uh, in the on the PR side of wine. They all all the publicists start sending me pitches, and I I, I start making a file immediately of. Yep. all of the emails, who has what. And then I become very conscious of trying to be even with, mm-hmm. you know, not asking for fire from Amanda. If I have only six wines or eight wines in the seminar, I don't want to repeat anybody more than right. once unless unless it's something that I want to add. Like they, they're pitching this, but I'm like, but don't you also have something from Jorge Ondonez that I want to put in to call? Blah, blah, blah. Like, like that's yeah. what I'll do, which is really interesting because I've worked, I, like for instance, when David Lynch used to come, I've talked to Ray when he does it. Ray, by the way, our, Ray, Ray Isle, my editor at Food & Wine Forever, and we go way, way back to trade magazine days in the 90s. He just says, this is what I want. And he just puts out the asks. Mm. He's He ignores any pitches. It's just interesting. I think there's relationships sure. behind all that anyway, because he knows who to ask. And for me, it's the opposite. I might say, okay, well, for like White Lotus... I got a lot of offers, but we absolutely have to have this, this, mm-hmm. and this, you know, like that we like, cause I've been, you know, I've been leading wine tours of Sicily for 18 years. Like we can't ignore that one. And I know that they're not going to be easy to get, but I'm going to, I'm going to write to them directly and figure out how do we make this yeah. happen? Like, like I might not even know who their importer is or distributor, but I'm going to make it happen. Like, but for the most part, I like the idea of, 
maintaining relationships with people who've been good to me yes. all the years and help me out when I'm writing Same. articles and they make it easy. They set up the interviews, they set up, you know, like they'll go through everything to make it yeah. work. And then, you know what I mean? Like that's, so that for me, it's all relationship driven, which is pretty much how I live my entire life. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same. I think, you know, a lot of it's relationship. A lot of it is just looking at it like, you know, if I'm the if I'm the person in the audience, like what would I want to drink? What would make me really excited? And I think, you know, what would make me feel like I got my money's worth, right? I would hate to put something that they could easily go out to their local store and, you know, pay a few bucks for and have that in a seminar unless it was, you know, really relevant. I I'm always looking for something that's really special and that's going to, you know, kind of pick them off on the on the right start because I think you know, this is the place to try new wines. And as I've expressed before in this on the show, like this is a great opportunity for you to taste a lot of different wines and a lot of different wines that may not be in your market that you would not have heard about otherwise. Right. I also, I want to call out on that note, a few different like specific wine festivals, because when I, when I Googled what some of the best wine and food festivals were, the list was really interesting. It was filled with a lot that I hadn't heard of before or would want to attend, I think as a, as a wine professional. And that's the, that's sort of the point of this show is like, you know, can we aggregate what some of the best ones are? And we've already talked about them, right? Like huh. Aspen food and yep. wine. Um, I don't know if we mentioned Pebble, but like Pebble's coming back this year. Nantucket. Pebble's coming back. I'm really yeah. excited. I'm hoping to get yeah, invited to Pebble's that. a really big one. Um, ones that we had, we mentioned Fort Lauderdale. Healdsburg. Oh yeah. Healdsburg. Yep. Year three has yep. been announced. IPNC, we talked about World of Pinot. A couple others that I think are very wine focused. Taste Washington is a great one. It's an it's in their like convention center, but you're gonna taste a ton of different producers. And then obviously, you know, it's in Seattle, so you're a bit of a drive from the actual Washington wine country, but you're very close to Woodenville, so you could make a little trip out of that. Again, another like very region specific tasting that you're like, I really want to get to know Washington wines. How do I do it? Go to Taste Washington. Mm-hmm. That is a great place okay. to meet people, to drink wines, to get to know the region. And there's also, you know, food outlets there too that you can taste alongside. Hospice to Rhone changes locations pretty much every year. Some years it was in Paso. I think it's actually up in Washington, this next one. That's another great one. I would argue that Bottle Rock is a food and wine festival in Napa. I want to come to Bottle Rock. It's so much fun. I went for the very first time this year and it was so much fun and it's – I mean, you're going to pay for everything. Like once you're in the door, there's nothing that's included unless you're in like super, super VIP. But I thought that was a really fun experience because that, you know, that gives you access to lots of different wineries and lots of different restaurants that are doing pop-ups. So that was a really fun one. Fun fact, and I think you know this, there is a real Catalina wine mixer for those of you who are fans of Step Brothers, the movie. It actually <laughs> exists. They, it didn't exist prior to the movie, but after the movie, they started doing a, a Catalina wine mixer. Our friend Josh Phelps, I think, has gone a few times. He said it's a lot of fun. I want to talk a little bit about superlatives. So we've talked about some of our favorite wine and food festivals, but the superlatives for each of them, starting with the food and wine festival that you're most likely to spot a celebrity. LA Food and Wine was crazy when that used. I think it's coming back. There's some something coming back in a different uh, shape or form. It used to be LA Food and Wine in downtown LA, and it was crazy how many celebrities would really just show up. Like uh, yeah, like crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, Food and Wine and Classic and Aspen has had yeah. really, really fun guests. And there used to be um, a cook-off on Sunday, like the final mm. day, where you know it would be like you know 400 people in the, in the audience, and they'd. There was always a surprise celebrity mm. like Kevin Costner or whoever would show up that like, you know, like great, great, great. They, they, they would find out that so-and-so, like so-and-so's publicist requested a ticket and they would say, 
we'll give you the ticket. Can you also ask if he or she would want to participate in some other events we're doing? And the answer is yes. So anyway, like that. I'd say Aspen for sure. I've seen, I think you're pretty much guaranteed to see celebrity. In fact, like this past year we were on, we were staying at uh, the Hotel Jerome and we were on the elevator back up to our room. And I was with my mom. She just got these great boots from one of the boot places. And there's this guy that gets in the elevator with us and we're getting off the elevator and he go, he looks at my mom's shoes and he goes, those boots are fire. And he, and he leaves. And <laughs> I knew who it was, but she didn't. And so he walks to his room. We walk to our room. And I go, mom, do you know who that was? He goes, no. And I was like, it was Dwayne Wade. <laughs> oh I was like, God. king of fashion in the NBA world. Like, yeah. said what's up to your boots yeah. but yeah i've seen i had dinner i've nice. had dinner with pink i saw felicity hoffman and william h macy this past year and had a really weird awkward exchange fully my fault because they were like we love your outfit and i was like is that a guitar i i don't know i don't know why i said that in response because i saw them carrying a guitar case <laughs> that's not a normal response for someone to say like thank you would have been thanks have a great night thanks love both of your shows no- is that a guitar? Anyway, no. most likely to learn a thing or two. I would say you're pretty much likely to learn a thing or two. I think some of the ones that definitely lean in the educational realm, World of Pino, IPNC, uh, Aspen, depending on who you go to see. You know, Obviously, if it's Anthony, you're going to learn sure. something, not a lot, because he doesn't have a lot to offer. But if you come to mine, <laughs> if you come to mine, a lot of times our times are competing, though, so you do have to make a choice. I'm just teasing. Obviously, it is funny. You can it learn really a lot funny. from him. He's been around for a while. Most likely to try your bucket list wine. Ooh, I would say Ojai or Nantucket. Yeah, oh, Ojai was, was crazy. With that were like whoa, crazy, crazy, crazy wines, and they were they were. You, and you could even see like when like the Burgundy tasting I popped in on. Um, they weren't like purveyed from like one importer they were bought on the market like these they spent money. tens of thousands of dollars to put these things on the table it was yeah. crazy we, we they did such a great job at ohio like holy cow it was an amazing it was, I, I can't wait to see yeah. what they do next if this was their first yeah and they knocked it out of the park yeah that it's way. at ojai valley inn which is a super super high-end resort in ojai i've never been but it's you know a la post ranch inn or little nell yeah. or yeah. one of those very, very fancy ones, but shout out to Ben Kephart. He, um, he's been running the place for, I don't know, I think a decade, but, and he, we met right before COVID. I hosted a Pinot Noir tasting there with, uh, Costa oh, Brown, cool. sort of like a early version of Pinot talks that they want to take on the road. But he and I, he had showed me that they're building this giant culinary center. There was literally just stakes in the ground and like, you know, strings. And I was like, this thing is enormous. And he was like, yeah, he was like, we, we, you know, we're, we're amalgamating best ideas from other great resorts. And it like the barn certainly reminds you of Blackberry Farm yeah. a little bit, but nothing like it inside. I mean, it, Blackberry Farm's barn is a big mm-hmm. dining room. This is like a multi-purpose, multi-building compound that they built with with kitchens oh, wow. and studios, and it's just it's just it's beyond belief gorgeous. And everyone who was there, we saw so many friends who were on the circuit, and, and you know, wine producers and pourers and, and you know, importers, distributors. Everybody in the industry was there, and we were like, "This is ridiculous that this is the first yeah. one." Like, no that that lineup was it was like Harlan, Sinequanon, like all the big champagne houses. Like, it was it was an impressive lineup, and it ran beautifully. And there were multiple, like, not just like like I said, Aspen has like we're all sort of the seminars are certainly a hodgepodge of things, and then we all get pulled into the grand tastings, and we all there was no you could have one of five perfect lunches somewhere outside in the sun at these amazing wineries or venues. And then there'd be dinners all over the place. Like 
it it really dialed in a lot of the best of the best of the best of everything. I, I was really impressed beyond beyond impressed for the first year. And yeah, it's better than a lot of people do in their tenth year still. Last superlative, most likely to become besties with a winemaker. It's it sort of matters like which festivals focus on bringing good winemakers in, and some that are just about like. Yeah. You never know who's going to show up, by the way. It's all about timing for the winemakers. Yeah. I would say IPNC just because – Right. And I'm not, I have not been there, so that makes sense. Because that one, you're like you're having all your meals together and like, you know, it's it really does kind of like feel like summer camp. So yeah, I think I, IPNC would be the one you're going to make friends with the producer. Most likely to see Anthony Giglio, my favorite sommelier in the United States. <laughs> Stop. Um, well, I'll be at Aspen. Um, I'll be at Healdsburg in May. Aspen in June. Well, let's start the, the beginning of this year. We have Fort Lauderdale That's coming right. up right away in January. I'll be at Beaver Creek Food and Wine in hey February. Yo. Is that fun? Is that a good one? It's my first time back there in probably 15 okay. years. It's been a long time. So I'm glad to be asked back. March, I'm open. Anyone have any festivals in March? I'm, I'm open if you want to invite me. That's World of Pinot. We got to get you in for next year. World of Pinot would be nice. Uh, April is hopefully Pebble Beach again. Right. May is Healdsburg. June is Aspen. I take the rest of the summer off, I guess. I won't be going to July. With- well, you have Char- the the new um, Charleston iteration of the Food and Wine Classic. Oh, right. That's, I'm sorry. That's in September. Yeah. September, after I get back from my leading my wine tour of, of Puglia, which um, we could talk about. I have three wine tours in the fall next Amazing. year. Puglia in, in September, uh, Spain in October, which is – we only have two seats left. We're only bringing 20 people. We're going to be uh, all over Spain. It's going to be beautiful from well, – eastern Spain. We're going to start in Barcelona, Priorat. Catalonia, and then up into Rioja and finish in San Sebastian. We have six, two seats left. And then in uh, November, we have Piedmont, which is uh, amazing with uh, with truffle hunting and, and wineries and cooking classes and private home visits. It's just going to be amazing with uh, Chef Jeff Michaud, who's a good buddy of mine from Philadelphia. You know Jeff Michaud? He, um, Jeff used to work at uh, Vetri oh, for yeah, years yeah, yeah. and cool. years and years. Cool. Do you still get nervous when you do your presentations? Do you ever... You get nervous before you do them? No, not at all. I'll, I'll tell you what what changed everything, Amanda. Like I being forced to do virtual tastings during oh, COVID, yeah. which I had never ever done in my life, and then hosting five hundred during COVID, <laughs> five hundred different tastings for fifty thousand people in nine countries. I figured out what works, what doesn't work, what needs to be said, what where I could riff, where I can get away with stuff. But like, there's certain, there's like. Five talking points that I'll throw out in any tasting, anywhere, live, virtual, whatever, that I know will engage people and get them interested leading forward. And then the rest I'll fill in. So like for Aspen, for example, like I definitely spend a day writing notes. It's just insane how much I overwrite. Just I want to be prepared in case someone asks a question, in case someone wants to go a little deeper. I have it ready. And it's a shame because probably... 60% 60% of it doesn't even get used. Right. But I take, I'm prepared. Like, and I have those notes ready and I don't have to look down at them. No, you're, it's a, it's a one man show once you're on that stage. There's nowhere, there's nowhere to look but the, but right in front of you. Have you ever, have you ever effed up though? Have you ever had like a moment where you're like, oh crap. There, I'm just, I'm on autopilot, but I don't get nervous. What about if a producer shows up in the audience and you've never seen them before? <laughs> oh, you're wicked. You're evil. So Aspen, uh, Food and Wine Classic in Aspen, probably at least 20 years ago. And Kim Crawford Wines is in my seminar of Sauvignon Blancs. I don't know what the, even the theme was anymore, but I'm walking into the seminar. I am five minutes late because it was at the, where you did your, your champagne this year. The Gant. The Gant. I was at the Gant, which you have to take a jitney For to sure, get to. So and I couldn't far. get a jitney. So I get there five minutes late. I don't have any time to prep. And 
as I'm walking in, someone says, oh my God, Kim Crawford's here. <laughs> and I'm like, amazing. So I get up there and I'm, I'm in the middle and we finally get to that, that wine. I'm like, and ladies and gentlemen, I have a big surprise. Kim Crawford's here. Where is she? <laughs> <laughs> and a, a woman stands up and then points down at the guy sitting next to her. She goes, hi, this is my husband, Kim Crawford. And I nearly vomited oh my in my God. mouth. Like I was like, I just did that. Like I had no idea that Kim Crawford was a man. I didn't know any male Kims except for Kim Marcus. Of course, I wasn't thinking of that day, but. Yes, Kim Crawford is a gentleman. Erica, his wife, who is lovely. And she has her own wine now, right? She has her own brand. She does. Yeah, Love Block. Yeah, very good. Yeah, she's doing, she's doing some really cool stuff, actually. She's making she's making a wine with tea tannin, which is very cool. Just because wine doesn't have enough tannin? No, she's actually using it to sub out sulfites. Interesting. I didn't know this. Yeah, it's it's like a newer it's a, it was a newer experiment that they're they're working on. I I the only reason I know that is because I just like moderated a whole seminar about it. But yeah, I love that. Yeah, I haven't had a full on f up at Aspen. I mean, I've certainly had them <laughs> elsewhere, but I'm sure if you know I continue to be invited back to Aspen, which I'm very grateful to be invited back uh, at some point, I will have one. I did call my dad for Father's Day last year because inevitably. It falls on Father's Day, and I was doing my seminar. It was on a Sunday. It was Father's Day, and so I, I was on stage. It was my very last one. It was the end of the seminar, and I, I FaceTimed my dad, I'm and so- he was so surprised. He had no idea because my mom comes with me every year, and so he was so surprised. He had no idea it was coming, and he was like – he didn't know why I was calling, so I was like, hey. I was like, how are you? He was like, I'm good, and then I turned the camera to the audience, and I had cued them to say happy Father's Day to my dad, and he just completely lost it, so it was – I, when you told me that, I was so mad that I didn't think of that because it's so <laughs> smart. And by the way, I've list I've lost twenty seven Father's Days with my dad in Aspen. Yeah. So it's always just a phone call, but I never thought to do it on stage. You can steal it for next year. It's okay. I'm totally stealing it. I'm going to give yeah. you credit though because that's, that's what I do. <laughs> it's going to be a really fun year for both of us. We've got a lot coming up, and if you are listening and curious about more food and wine festivals, we'll of course list everything in the description. If you've got questions, um, you can always DM me or Anthony Giglio. Two, I want to give a shout out to. The Cayman Cookout is really, really special. That's Food and Wine's event in Grand Cayman. Yeah. I haven't been asked back in a few years because they, they changed the programming, but Ray's there. Um, but it's it's super, super intimate at a beautiful, like it's all on one like resort property. Yeah, it's at Cayman at the Ritz. It's very beautiful. <laughs> yes. Have you Have you gone? No, but it looks amazing every year. I'm like, I want to go to the Cayman Cookout in January and be on an island. That looks awesome. And I just was invited to a meeting last week to talk about Puerto Rico food and wine, <gasps> which is a new one coming on board that is in its inception. All right, well, drop my name. Let's make it happen. I did already. I already did. Appreciate you. For those of you still drinking this wine, uh, just a quick reminder because I didn't mention it before, make sure you get a little chill on this bad boy. This is definitely a wine that wants to be a little on the chillier side. You can drink it out of pretty much whatever glass you want to that does include a solo cup. It is just that kind of wine. And just have some fun with it. This is a wine that to me is a chillable wet, chillable, chillable wet, chillable red, easy to drink for the winter all through the summer. So have some fun with it. And if you're not drinking it well, you can rectify that by joining the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast Wine Club. All the info is below, including where to find Anthony and all of his happenings, along with the food and wine festivals we all just talked about. And we hope to see you again on the next episode. Until then, make sure you're using your super salt to season all of your items uh, as Anthony holds it up at the window. He's like, buy my salt. It is really good. It actually, it's a really good gift 
for yourself and for someone else. So you buy it in bulk and then keep one and then gift it out for the others. Uh, I've received it a, a number of times and somehow I always go through it. So Anthony, thank you so much. I will, uh, I'll, I'll wish you a great rest of the year and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Okay. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks so much, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>